At its head are inscribed the opening words of our founding statute. There shall be a Scottish Parliament. In my opinion, and it is just my opinion, then this is a, a once-in-a-generation opportunity. I don't fear the verdict of the Scottish people. Bring it on. And Scotland has, by majority, decided not, at this stage, to become an independent country. The disabled, the poor, the ill, the carers of our society have all been victims of Tory austerity. And not content with that, the Tories have now turned their grasping, grubby, miserly attention to the tax credit system, one of Labour's finest achievements. Is there no end to the Tories' desire to ensure those with the least have even less? And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. Labour are in a desperate position. Labour will never be in power in the UK if they cannot get back their power base in Scotland. Well, Nicola Sturgeon seems to think that uh, Brexit is a distraction at a time of COVID. And I would say to her that obsessing about an independence referendum is a bigger distraction. The reputation of the Scottish Government tainted. The standing of this Parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name is Conor Matchett, I'm a political reporter on The Scotsman, and with me every week, unless one of us is on a rare day off, is The Scotsman's deputy political editor, Gina Davidson. Hello, Gina. Hi, Conor. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. I thought, as as this is the first episode, we can give um, people listening a quick rundown of what to expect each week. The plan is to have guests on discussing the biggest issues in Scottish politics as well as high-profile interviews with those attempting to win your vote ahead of the May elections. Uh, We'll also hopefully take you through the week ahead in Holyrood and Westminster to give you an idea of what to expect. And all in all, we just hope that you enjoy listening to the the steamy over the coming weeks. Uh, Later on in this episode, you'll hear from polling guru Chris Hopkins um, from Savanta Comrades. Um, He's been leading the series of polls that we have been doing as the Scotsman since December, looking at Holyrood voting intention and also Scottish independence voting intention. Gina, I'm sure you're all ready and raring to go for a fantastic electoral campaign. Absolutely. It's exciting stuff. And I think you probably didn't hear, but I let out a small laugh when you suggested there might be a day off, because I think we're (laughs) about to enter a period where they will be (laughs) non-existent. I think I've got one day off booked in like on, on the Easter weekend as a as a vague, vain hope for, you know, some relaxation in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, don't hang your Easter bonnet on it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the to what we can expect to happen in Holyrood tomorrow, which is obviously the the second iteration of the Scottish government's route map out of lockdown. Now, I think you probably agree with me, Gina, the first one was pretty average there wasn't really any hope in it i think that's the that's certainly the allegation from from opposition msps we didn't have the indicative dates that the that the english had with boris's route map what do you think we can expect from tomorrow do you think it will be a repeat of the nicola sturgeon plan of slow and steady wins the race 
Absolutely. I can't see her departing from that at all. It's been her, you know, caution has been her watchword all the way through, really. Although, you know, if you listen to what the EIS were saying at the weekend, they certainly feel that she was pressured into having more children return to school this week than they feel that their teachers are um, uh, able to to take in safely. Um, And I think as well, given that the schools have just gone back this week, you know, there will be a, a feeling in the government that we have to wait and see how that pans out and whether or not we have any spikes as a result of children going back because now obviously all primary children are back and all senior year pupils and sort of junior um, high school pupils will be going in at least once if not twice a week for a few hours at least every day Um, not every day every other day or so Uh, so they will wait to see I think what the fallout of that is and whether or not that increases any kind of community transmission before anything else happens and I think for the hospitality industry and sector that is going to be hugely frustrating you know because they really do want to see indicative dates because they want to get things moving so that when they're told that they can open they're ready to go. It's going to be a very interesting one because I think I imagine the first message might have learned her lesson a little bit from you know last year where we you know we did come out of lockdown pretty slowly let's be honest it it was a a long drawn out process but even that you know the, the 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 claim that's been made is that we were you know within touching distance of zero covid and that the move too quickly allowed it to simmer and you know etc you wonder whether or not that is that lesson's been learned given that we're dealing with a more infectious variant now and you know what's going to win in the balance of 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 the Scottish government is it going to be opening up hospital hospitality quick enough to you know keep the economy moving or is it going to be listening to the likes of Debbie Schreeder and keeping it tight for as long as possible I, I, I don't know what she's going to say tomorrow so um to guess <laughs> but I think Given that we know that furlough has been extended till September, then I think she will feel pretty confident in going slowly because, you know, there is that um, safety net for a lot of uh, for a lot of people, for a lot of jobs. And, you know, does she want to be the first minister who sees spikes in COVID just before an election? Probably not. And on that, uh, we spoke to Chris Hopkins, the Associate Director of Savannah Comrades, who have been doing some Holyrood polling for the Scotsman over the last few months, um, who spoke about how it's all lining up ahead of May the 6th. So welcome to the steamy, to Chris Hopkins, the Associate Director of the polling company Savannah Comrades, who've been doing um, a series of Holyrood polls for the Scotsman since December. Uh, welcome to the steamy, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. How, how, how are you? Surviving just about. So, Chris... I think we'll start with uh, the obvious question, which is we're about six weeks away from Holyrood 2021. Um, I don't know if there's a specific hashtag yet decided upon by the press pack up here, but I'm sure we'll get there. Can you give us maybe a quick rundown of the state of the parties as we are six weeks out? I know our last recent poll um, last week showed a drop in support from the SNP, but maybe not a fatal one. So the last uh, last polling that that we did with you uh, had the SNP on on forty eight percent. It was down six points from from our last poll with you, um, and I think it's one of the first ones, or at least the first one that we've been doing 
with the Scotsman where the SNP haven't been above 50% in, the, in that first constituency vote. Um, then we have the Conservatives on 23%, that's no change, and Labour um, up four points to, to, to 20%. Now, as you say, I don't think that that's likely to be fatal for the SNP. You know, ultimately, um, in, in an electoral system that isn't designed to produce majorities, um, that's going to, you know, I, th- I think some seat seat calculations will say that this along with with the list will leave the SNP about one one seat short of a majority um that that is better than than how they did in 2016 um and and, and obviously they governed in 2016 as a minority government so i don't think it's going to have a huge impact on, on, on the state of things within Holyrood but obviously it is potentially a little bit disappointing for the SNP because um, I think that they were really looking to uh, you know, to, to, to really kind of nail down a, a second unprecedented majority in, in Holyrood. It looks like they're probably going to need 50% of the vote in, in the constituency vote to, to get that and uh, that seems to be a little bit in the, in the balance at the moment. But what is it the polls are telling you that's causing that fall then Chris? It's difficult to say I mean it would be it would be wrong of me to to skip over the Salmond inquiry and that potentially having an impact. I think it's difficult to to say to what extent that will have an impact come May. But I think at the moment, while the SNP do seem to be embroiled in in, in something of a bitter civil war, um, you know, ultimately we know from elections gone past, whether that whether they're UK or or, or more regional that divided parties don't do well in elections. The electorate doesn't reward divided parties. And if the SNP are appearing more divided than they would usually be, um, and they are throughout the Salmond inquiry, then then it is likely to be having some impact. We are also seeing here that that, that, that Labour are doing a, you know, a little bit better and probably taking some votes from the SNP. And we see the Conservative figure um, remaining pretty strong while while, while Labour are up. And, and you know, um, Richard Leonard wasn't a particularly popular figure. And this is the first poll that we've conducted since Anna Sawa was, um, uh, was confirmed Labour leader. And while the bounce isn't huge, um, a new leader bounce isn't also to be unexpected. So it will be interesting to see when the closer we get to the election, I think our next poll with you will be at the start of April, um, about a month before uh, voters go to the polls. It will be interesting to see if that levels out or if that or if that impact um, sticks. And, and obviously, it's going to be really difficult for, for Anasawa to to really make make a big impact. I think, but um, but yeah, at the moment he's, he's he seems to be enjoying a bit of a bounce, similar to what Keir Starmer enjoyed uh, nationally for Labour by sheer virtue of the fact that he wasn't Jeremy Corbyn. I think Anasawa might be might be having something of an impact by the sheer virtue of the fact that he isn't Richard Leonard. One of the things that I thought was quite interesting, if you look at historical results, I can't remember who I saw doing, doing the comparison on Twitter, but obviously when the SNP won their first majority in 2011, their constituency vote is lower than they've polled in recent elections. Obviously their, less, their list vote was slightly higher. Perversely, given the system, a drop in the constituency vote might not hurt the SNP, provided their list vote, you know, holds up and maybe take some of the vote away from the Greens. And what what do you think if you're an SNP voter, Chris, and you want to see a majority a majority SNP government, where where do they need to focus um their, you know, maybe tactical votes and may, where do the party need to focus so they can hit that majority target. Yeah, it's it's a little bit difficult to say really, just because of the nuances of the of the electoral system. Um, my understanding is is ultimately, obviously, the 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 list vote supplements um in, in proportionally um 
you know, what a party doesn't end up achieving uh, in the in the constituency vote. You know, if I was the SNP, I would be focusing on taking as many constituencies as possible and not really regarding the list vote hugely. Um, I think that where that changes some somewhat is if the Salmond inquiry continues to have a negative impact on the SNP's constituency vote share, in which case they're going to need that supplementary list vote to help them make up the seats that could end up giving them that majority. I think, you know, when the SNP are, um, you know, are, are doing very well in the constituency vote and are above 50%, as we've seen in, in our previous polling um, up until this month, I, I think those that are pro, pro-independence, at least, may be willing possibly to, to lend their, their list vote to to a different pro-independence party to make to make the independence majority even larger in, in Holyrood and 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 you know the electoral maths kind of speaks to that and I think that that is the rationale um, for some of the minor independence parties that do seem to be emerging and then we might be covering those in a bit more depth um, once once the ballots are confirmed. It's interesting you say that Chris because you know the SNP are already out the blocks with their um, campaign and it's very much both votes SNP and I wonder if uh, their private polling is maybe saying exactly what your, yours is and that their constituency vote is, is falling slightly and that they're worried about that and also possibly worried about these new independence parties that have suddenly um, appeared and might uh, take some votes from them on the list. Yeah, possibly. I think. Um, I mean, I mean, I think in terms of campaigning and you know, purely campaigning, it makes very little sense for um, the SNP not to be going for a both votes SNP strategy. Um, I think it it always looks a little bit odd in, especially in electoral systems that you know. Although I believe do believe quite firmly that the Scottish electorate understands their electoral system better than the UK electorate understands first past the post in Westminster. Um, it's still you know considerably more complicated than than just purely first past the post is because of this additional uh, proportional list system. Um, so it does you know I don't think that any party is ever likely to be um, going or at least a major party is ever likely to go, to adopt a strategy that's you know, don't vote for us in one of these elections um, because you know that could end up having having a negative impact that that, that can't be sort of foreseen. If they want to be the party of independence, the sole party of independence, then ultimately um, you know, sweeping these um, minor pro-independence parties away. Um, I guess it kind of excluding the Greens, but but but, you know, but some of the other sort of very minor ones that might might be running in their first election this time. It's important for the SNP to uh, to not really lose any any ground or any airtime to those. So so yeah, I think it makes sense as a strategy for them. If we move on, maybe to look at the opposition. I mean, the Scottish Conservatives clearly at the minute are hoping and probably guaranteed unless there's a major fall in support for them to to hit that second place and and remain the the main opposition force in Holyrood. Scottish Labour are a very odd party to look at in the polls. Um, From from my point of view, you you look at it and one week they can be up in in the in the low twenties in in both constituency and the list vote, and then the next week they're they're down in the into the mid to high teens. How do you place both of those parties? Do you think that Labour have a chance of 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 pulling some of the vote back? Maybe maybe finishing second, or is it is it a battle to stay third? Some some of the Green Party, for example, have have said to me that they could beat Labour into third if if all goes well. I don't know if you would agree with that, Chris. I don't. Um, Wishful I think, thinking. I, th- I, th- I think that would be very ambitious from from the Green Party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just because 
you know, ultimately the the, the list helps um, helps achieve proportionality or at least a better sort of semblance of proportionality in in Holyrood. And because the Green Party aren't likely to achieve um, you know m- many votes, if any, in in the constituency sort of vote, then 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 my guess would be it would be quite hard for them to supplement you know solely just you just just using uh, the. the the list um and i think also you know i don't think we've ever shown the greens ahead of labor even in the list vote since we've been doing this polling queue since december i think the greens hit a high in december at 12 percent, and 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 that was um you know one of the higher figures cr- across the industry uh, at that point you know I, I i i think they are likely to have a fairly strong election and i think that they do benefit from from having a uh, fairly stable leadership in scotland um which you know, which can't really be said of of the of Scottish Conservatives or Scottish Labour, um, so I do think you know that, that that definitely could help them, um, but I don't think it's likely that, that, that they're going to pip pip Labour into third. I think trying to split the Conservatives and and Labour is is difficult. They don't seem to be taking votes away from each other. At least in our last in our last polling, it does seem very much that like. Um, you know, SNP voters, if, if if they are wavering slightly from the SNP, they seem to be more likely to go to the Liberal Democrats or, or, or Labour than the Conservatives. And with the Conservatives staying pretty steady, um, it doesn't seem that, 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 that they're really taking votes away from, from, from the Labour Party either. Um, it does appear, at least on, on these numbers and some of the numbers that we've been running for quite a while, and even you know, if you look back to previous elections, that 23, 24 um, percent in the constituency vote does appear to be the conservative ceiling. Now, at, root, at the height of Ruth Davidson's power, I think you know, some polls might have had her at 27, 28 percent. Um, but obviously, she's not she's not really in post anymore, or at least isn't 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 the isn't the campaigning face of of, of, of Scottish conservatism. So, that the 23, 24 percent in, in a constituency vote is, is is their ceiling at the moment, and it's whether the, the Labour Party can catch up with that. Um, and if they are to, then it's likely that they're going to have to take more SNP votes away from the SNP or possibly Liberal Democrat votes away from the Liberal Democrats. They don't seem to be making ma- massive inroads um, into, into the Conservative vote. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm guessing that, that, that in, in a lot of these seats, um, there are, probably aren't that many sort of Conservative Labour mar- marginals. I imagine you know, Labour, the Labour Party want to, are going to want to take votes away from the SNP and the Conservatives are going to want to take votes away from the SNP in order to win those marginal seats and get and get more representation in, in, in Holyrood. So um, so I think it's, it's more important for them to ultimately keep bashing the SNP and trying to make inroads in that sense. Obviously, you know, with both, um, with both of those parties um, going after the SNP, then, that, that, that you know, while the SNP do have a lot of votes to, to, to you know, to a big kind of voter pull to, to to dip into um you know the messaging could could look a little bit mixed and and, and you do have to wonder if uh, you know, if both both of those parties are going after the SNP then maybe that will muddies the water a little bit for those SNP voters that might be thinking oh well you know maybe I'm not Maybe I'm not as loyal to the SNP as perhaps I might have been, maybe pre pre the Salmond inquiry. Um, but where exactly they're going to go, um, you know, is, is is going to be difficult because there perhaps isn't one obvious alternative and two sort of maybe maybe slightly more minor, for want of a better word, alternatives. We uh, spoke about wishful thinking on the part of the Greens, and I wonder if. You feel the same about the Liberal Democrats. Willie Rennie was saying at his conference last weekend that they are the ones that can stop an SNP majority. What are the polls telling us about uh, the Liberal Democrat vote? 
Um, not a lot, uh, I think, is 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 the perhaps slightly harsh way of putting it. I mean, they do seem to be doing better, um, you know, according to our latest polling um, in the in the in their first constituency vote. You know, they're up three points, but only to eight percent, and that doesn't really mean that they're likely to make many inroads. Um, you know, ultimately, the Liberal Democrats are going to suffer in Scotland from the same. Um, issues that they suffer from in the rest of the country. They're going to have pockets of support, which means that they could end up taking some seats, possibly in, in areas that they're very popular in. Um, but otherwise, they, they are ultimately going to struggle and, and, and they don't have a particularly high ceiling. But ultimately, you know, the Liberal Democrat message, in the, both in the UK and in Scotland, can be quite mixed. And, and I think, you know, particularly when it comes to you know, the EU and Brexit, there will be some, some you know, very much left, left scratching their heads in terms of, um, you know, what the Liberal Democrats actually stand for now, and do they stand, you know, is 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 that Democrat part of their name actually, um, you know, actually, actually sort of apply to them? I think the other thing that the, the Liberal Democrats ultimately suffer from in Scotland, um, whereas they don't in in England, is the presence of the SNP. You know, if if if, if the Liberal Democrats are going to present themselves as a sort of centrist kind of soft left slash soft right party, then the SNP sort of crowd that space too. Um, you know, while the SNP, I think, present themselves as, as as fairly left wing, I think in reality, sometimes some of the policies that they adopt aren't particularly economically. Um, so, so I think that that, that that it's just you know, the SNP are just crowding that 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 space that the Liberal Democrats would really like to um, like to occupy. But they're also not pro independence, and 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 if they're going to be pro union, then they're also fighting with with, with, with the Conservatives and Labour, just more established brands ultimately. Let's maybe talk about. Scottish independence, based on that, I mean, as you say, the SNP have been a remarkable political success um, in recent years in creating that centre ground, but also creating that centre ground on the basis of constitutional change. Um, over the, the polling that you guys have done for us, Chris, um, we've we've seen it follow the trend of, of other pollsters that, you know, going from record highs, you know, at the end of last year to to the union leading again in in the latest poll last Thursday. Um, how, how do you characterise the constitutional debate at the minute? Do, do you, a lot of people, you know, three or four months ago were talking about independence as a foregone conclusion, you know, to use the, the parlance, the SNP, the settled will of the Scottish people. How would you characterise it at the minute? Um, I guess that's quite a tricky, tricky question to, to answer. I mean, it, I guess it, it appears very much in the balance, which is the opposite, really, of what I guess the SNP was saying um, several months ago. Well, you know, when, as you say, I mean, in our first poll in um, in in December that we conducted with the Scotsman, you know, we were looking at a 16-point yes lead. I think Ipsos Murray probably had had one out um, towards the back end of last year that showed an 18-point yes lead. Um, I think. There is some, you know, potential. There are a lot of potential reasons for that, and 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 you know, we can definitely, um, you know, look to look to explore those. I think obviously Brexit does appear to be a considerably, or Brexit regret, or um, your anger with Brexit is a considerably bigger issue in Scotland than it is in in England. Um, it's the point that you know, I think some of the research that, that Savannah Comrades have done. Recently, with with ITV, and you know, really highlighted that, and it was a bit of an eye opener for, for for me because everything that we do on Brexit is is very UK based, and, and Scotland is such a small part, you know, small part of that. Um, but 
so so yeah, I think I think I think that's interesting. And 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 you know, looking looking back towards sort of October, November last year, when when a Brexit deal or um, was kind of in the balance, um, I can see why um you know, why independence would be um would be a popular option. Um, considering you know how angry many Scots are you know with Brexit and how it was being handled at that time. Um, again, you know, not I think that moving that sort of Brexit debate on, um, you know, things at least haven't appeared on the face on the surface that bad since the turn of the year. Um, so, you know, possibly that's a reason maybe why the independence sort of movement in relation to Brexit has possibly quietened down. I think also, you know, as, as, as we've discussed, the Salmond inquiry is likely to be having some sort of impact. Um, one would assume that um, a vote for the SNP in, in Holyrood would go hand in hand with a vote for yes, a hypothetical future independence referendum. If people are moving away from the SNP, then perhaps people are also moving away from from, from voting yes. I think, you know, was this, you know, was this to be um, you know, SNP divisions that that weren't based around Alexander Nicola Sturgeon, you know, the architects of independence, or the at least the architects of the independence movement, then that then maybe things would, would would be different. But because it is two, you know, two such high-profile characters, and one synonymous with with the 2014 Yes campaign, and one synonymous with with any kind of independence movement ever since, um, I think it's I, I think that that potentially will will have an impact but but yeah i mean ultimately you know i don't want to uh i, I don't want to put put words into in, into the mouths of, of yes campaigners but you know ultimately in when it comes to you know margin of error in these surveys things are neck and neck at the moment and things could really you know, could really change we are we are also asking a hypothetical question based on an independence referendum that currently doesn't even have a date in the diary and isn't likely to anytime soon um, so the fact that yes, the fact that that, that that the yes movement are so close at the moment, so close to 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 you know to, within the margin of, of error of winning something like this, winning a hyp- hypothetical second independence referendum, really is a testament to how strong feeling it is. But yeah, I wouldn't feel disheartened if I was a yes campaigner at the moment. And, and what about from from a perspective of a, of a of a unionist? How would you maybe tell Scottish Labour, Scottish Tories? how the best way to get yes voters back on their side is i do think that that's difficult i think that the i think that where 2014 possibly was very successful is having a figurehead that a lot of scottish people liked and respected and i don't know who would currently lead um a, a no campaign i don't think boris johnson would be a particularly good person to do so um and i think that it's unlikely that that, that, that sort of elder statesmen you know your alistair darlings and your gordon browns would, would possibly come out and do it again um i think but i think having that figurehead that can make a compelling argument for ultimately why scotland is better off in the uk is important not trashing the independence movement but saying why things are better as they are uh, i think ultimately you know it, it it sounds very um almost student politics of me to say but ultimately it's about making a positive case for what you want not a negative case for uh, for the opposite i don't think that that fear-mongering about independence will, will, will really benefit um a no campaign but i think they need to make a strong positive case for remaining in the union um, and i think that that does need to tie more into the everyday lives of Scottish people um, rather than some historic 
um, and cultural sort of feeling that I don't feel as though that many Scots necessarily have, or at least don't feel strongly enough to, for that to be the, you know, the the tipping point for them if they were to go to the ballot box. Um, you know, I think that some of the polling again that we did conduct for ITV on on this issue, you know, shared history is important, but you know the economic impact of independence. Um, if, if that is to go you know, negatively, um, is, 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 is one of the concerns of yes voters at the moment. So, you know, while while this is, might slightly contradict what I've just said, I don't think it's about preying on the negative impacts of, of independence, but the positive impact of the union economically could definitely be quite a strong strong argument to make. I think it's also fair to say that it looks like the uh, UK government want to play on the, the the COVID pandemic in that area as well, don't they? And the vaccination programme and how that's uh, something that they have been driving rather than the Scottish government. So it'll be fascinating to see how both the, 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 the health arguments and the, the economic arguments uh, match up when this happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, going back to, going back to a previous question, I think that you know, I, I focused quite a lot on Brexit for a reason why the independence movement was perhaps doing really well at the back end of last year. And I think you know, coupled in with that was the idea that the UK government weren't handling the coronavirus pandemic very well, but the Scottish government were. That hasn't necessarily flipped itself round, but the UK government have at least caught up. Um, and if the UK government are showing competence, which, you know, they currently appear to be, and they haven't um, at all um, during 2020, then th- th- then yeah, all of a sudden, you know, those that are sort of teetering, thinking, well, actually, you know what, we are Scot- Scotland is far better at handling this type of thing on its own. All of a sudden, if the UK looks a bit more competent, the, uh, the UK government rather looks a bit more competent, th- th- then yes, I think um, that may make that may make uh, people think again. If we, I, I know Gina mentioned to to us off air, Chris, um, that one of the regular retorts. Um, to any polling story we ever do is, first of all, A, how is a thousand people um, representative of Scotland? And B, why didn't you ask me or any of my friends? Because no one I talk to believes what you say Scots believe. Um, Could you maybe take us through why your methodology works and maybe a bit about how it works? I know some of these things are are industry secrets, but maybe you can... um, elucidate the situation a little bit yeah certainly so i think um you know, without patronizing uh the listeners of your podcast on its first episode um ultimately uh, an, an analogy that i've always liked is the soup analogy and that you don't need to um have a whole bowl of soup to know whether it tastes nice and that is ultimately what the um you know, what the idea is when it comes to sampling and taking a thousand people in a, in a poll. You know, we are taking a representative, a thousand sample of Scotland to get a snapshot of public opinion at a point in time. Um, you know, it, it's a methodology that ultimately is repeated um, across the industry. You won't find many Scotland polls which um, end up with many more than a thousand people. Um, there are there are reasons for that, which you know, I'm happy to kind of go into. One of them is time, one of them is cost, but also one of them is because there isn't a, a massive need for us to go much bigger. Um, and 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 and, and uh, you know, a thousand is, is is ultimately pretty good. You know, we're operating at a margin of error of around three percent, um, which means that. 95% of the time, the true figure will, will lie within 3% of, 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 of whatever we're putting out. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's 
that is pretty good. I think the other thing with margin of error is that the larger the sample size you get, you do end up ultimately with diminishing returns in terms in terms of the margin error margin of error. So, um, so for a two thousand sample, you, you don't sort of half your margin of error. You only reduce it by about a third, um, and so on and so forth. So, so you know, getting um, infinitely large samples ultimately does have diminishing returns and 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 you know, that type of thing in Scotland which um you know which has some more remote parts um is, is is increasingly difficult in terms of sort of you know how we make ours representative if we make it representative based on census data of um you know of, of Scotland so in terms of age sex uh, and and regions we use Scottish parliamentary region um we also do try to make it representative politically, both in terms of how people voted at uh, the last um, party political election. So we use result, the results of the 2019 general election, but also in terms of independence, uh, looking back at, at 2014. Um, not every pollster does this, but we, you know, we have chosen to do so um, because you know we, we believe that again, using an online method um, where. More, you know, your respondents are more likely to be younger. They're probably more likely to be yes voters. We think it's important to add that in for our to add that kind of control in to make sure that we do try and get enough enough no voters uh, involved. But ultimately, um, polling in general, it's it's an art, not a science, and you have to do as much as you can to make it as accurate as possible and to make it as representative as possible. And it's all about trying to get that representative sample even before you go into field rather than once you're once you're in it and doing lots of corrections afterwards doesn't always make for make for a great poll. If if you were I'm gonna potentially throw the cat among the pigeons here, but given that you've done, I think it's now four months worth of polling for us, Chris, um if you were going to predict the outcome of 2021 Holyrood election what would your prediction be yeah I'm really gonna have to <laughs> hang my hat on this aren't I um I I I I, I do think that the SNP will, will end up with a majority um I think that they will um I think that, that those that are maybe wavering at the moment in light of the salmon inquiry will will end up plumping the SNP when they get to the ballot box um and you know if the salmon inquiry doesn't end up playing out quite in the in the way that it has over recent weeks um you know if that sort of disappears over the next few months when, when, when campaigning is going on um i would imagine that that the smp will be will, will be ripe for a majority i think that the only reason that the, that they wouldn't be is if um the salmon inquiry ends up with nicola sturgeon resigning or something similar uh, you know something uh, catastrophic along those lines um i think it's going to have to take something quite major for the smp not to be on the cusp of a majority it's interesting chris given the the covid restrictions that are going to be in place around political campaigning for this election do you think the smp are actually going to benefit from that as a result of the questions around the alex salmond inquiry and, and various other things that appear to be dividing their party because in normal times, for instance, if there were stump speeches every day or every other day, you know, the question would be continually put to Nicola Sturgeon or whoever in the SNP leadership about what was happening with the inquiry. And yet that pressure will not be applied in the same way. So do you think that they actually might benefit from this restricted political campaigning? Yeah, possibly. I mean, ultimately, 
in any election cycle, the fewer questions the incumbent gets, the better for them. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've always seen the Conservatives over the last few uh, few general elections try to dodge TV debates because they've got nothing to gain and everything to lose from them. And I think that that is, is sort of where the SNP and Nicola Sturgeon is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I do think that helps. I think there is a, a, a second side to the COVID pandemic and, and, and the limits on campaigning uh, in terms of ground game. And I'm not I'm always a bit sceptical as to what extent this makes a huge difference. Um, but I think ultimately the SNP's ground game is fairly sophisticated, definitely in Scotland, considerably better than, than some of the other parties. They've got a lot of data, ultimately. Um, they know where their voters are and they can still target them. Um, you know, using 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 the internet, using leaflets and things like that. Whereas I don't think they're probably relying on the same level of door knocking to convince voters to go vote a different way that perhaps the other parties are. Um, so I think that that lack of engagement on the doorstep, and, and like I say, I'm always a little bit sceptical as to what that, to what extent that actually makes a difference. But while other parties can't do that, I think that leaves the SNP in quite a prime position. Um, but yeah, as you say, I think ultimately, you know, while there aren't lots and lots of questions, or at least a barrage of questions about about the, the Salmon inquiry every day, um, and the SNP aren't really answering many of them sort of publicly, other than within the context of, of the parliamentary inquiry. Um, I don't think that, that, that it's going to have the, perhaps the impact um, that, that this sort of controversy could have um, had it been played out in in sort of you know the more um, Sort of media circus um, uh, or, or the, the usual arena of um, you know, ultimately we're, we're, we're approaching the short campaign and uh, and yeah it feels very different to, to how, how an election would ordinarily feel and yeah I think um, you know, something like this would be um, possibly blown out of proportion um, it, 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 in normal times but I think I think ultimately the, you know, the, the, the slightly tempered impact that it's having i think is only going to benefit the, the smp well th- thank you very much for joining us today chris it's been a pleasure having you on thanks chris lovely thank you very much that was pretty interesting from chris clearly he thinks um, that the smp still have a majority to lose and um, wh- where do you see see them coming out of this um in may gina i mean it's it's for me it's too tight to call i think you could flip a coin and they could get a majority half the time they're They'll, they'll be in minority government um, the other half of the time. It's it's impossible to call at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think um, Chris is a brave man sticking his neck out yes. to, <laughs> to say what he thinks. But I think we haven't yet seen the, the full impact of the the inquiry that, that Holyrood is, is carrying out into uh, how the government handled sexual harassment complaints against Alex Salmond. That report is still to come out and it'll be interesting to see where it says you know, the failures happened and who is accountable for those. And then, of course, we have the the James Hamilton QC report that is yet to come out to see if Nicola Sturgeon uh, breached any uh, ministerial code issues. Um, All of these things are are still quite dangerous for the SNP, I think. And at the same time, you know, there are other uh, more sort of cultural issues, I suppose, that are dividing the SNP. And as Chris said, you know, voters tend not to like parties that look like they're fighting internally. Now, how much of that is on social media? And, you know, as we all know, that's a, a bubble of its own. And how much of it's feeding out into the the actual uh, electorate, um, we, st- we, still not, we still don't really know. Um, but 
The hate crime bill in particular that was passed last week seems to have um, enraged a lot of um, SNP supporters who feel that they're they're cracking down of, on, on freedom of speech. So all these things could come to a head. And like you, Connor, I think they might have some people rethinking, especially where they're going to place their second vote, even if they still vote SNP in their constituency. It's like what they do with that additional uh, vote that they have and where that goes. So... Yeah, I don't think it's a, a sure thing that they'll have a majority. I think as well, I, I wrote a bit of analysis um, last week off the back of the the most recent Savantic Comrades poll, um, you know, which show it was the first poll um, in certainly in that series, and I think in a long line that showed that there's there was no majority for the SNP if those numbers are what we see in May 6th. Uh, and, and my argument was basically that not getting a majority is a is a pretty major symbolic defeat not it's not it's obviously not an actual defeat let's let's be clear you know for a for a government to win or an incumbent party to to win a what would it be fourth term in office um would be an astonishing achievement especially for the for for a party like the SNP but it's a symbolic defeat for Nicola Sturgeon if she doesn't get that and it could spark that sea change within the party you know you you have got the likes of Joanna Cherry um and others you know who want to see a different approach to independence and a different approach to various social issues um and who view themselves as potential challengers you know if we get to May 8th whenever it is when we when we get the results and the SNP are a couple of seats short um Nicola Sturgeon who's already on a bit of a a, a dodgy foundation could be could be set for a bit of an internal battle but Nicola Sturgeon's success is the SNP's success without her they've got very little to go on other than independence and it's a broad church party the the likelihood of them sticking together if they don't have a figurehead is is slim and we we, we see that already with the with the divisions between you know the the Salmonites and the Sturgeonites if you like Absolutely. And I think, um, again, as, as we, were, we were chatting off air earlier, I do think it's been quite remiss of the SNP in a way not to have a succession plan in, mm. in place. You know, most political parties do try and attempt to have some sort of plan should the, the leader who is hugely popular, as Nicola Sturgeon is, somehow or other have to leave that position. Obviously, that is not what the SNP are planning for ahead of the election. But you're right, if they... Um, if they don't get a majority and they aren't able to use it to say this is our mandate for the another independence referendum and have that row with uh, the UK government, then it you know the questions absolutely will be asked about Nicola Sturgeon's position and that that war which is kind of simmering gently and has already seen people leave and set up these new pro independence parties who are going to stand on the list. In a bid to take to take up some of the SNP's votes in that area, you know, it could break out properly within the SNP, and then it's almost unthinkable to suggest that anybody would demand Nicola Sturgeon, you know, stand down if she if she actually wins a fourth election. It's crazy, but you know, we're we're living in very kind of fevered times with uh, with independence. It's going to be a fascinating few weeks, and I think this is probably the strangest and most unique. Uh, election campaign I think anyone in the Scottish Parliament has seen and probably will see so hopefully you at home will follow it with us at On The Steamy we hope you enjoyed listening to the first episode uh, please rate and subscribe and uh, 
We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. The Steamy is a laudable production brought to you by The Scotsman.